Academy Award nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Original Screenplay, Licorice Pizza is the story of Alana Kane and Gary Valentine growing up, running around, and falling in love in the San Fernando Valley, 1973. Written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, the film tracks the treacherous navigation of first love. Empire says Licorice Pizza is Paul Thomas Anderson operating at full capacity, a master at work. Now available to watch in theaters and on digital. Hi, it's David Pullen, and this is the hot button number 89, Blonde History Month. I know, February is supposed to be Black History Month, but somehow I've been dropped into a melange of blondes whose real-life stories apparently really, really needed to be told. Anna Delvey, slash Sorokin, Elizabeth Holmes, Pam Anderson, and the late entry, Carol Baskin and Joe Exotic. What all four limited series have in common is larceny and a softening of the humans we know so well as characters from previous incarnations of their stories. Also, some of the best performances of the year. Kate McKinnon was originally expected to play Elizabeth Holmes in The Dropout, but she dropped out because of how COVID screwed up her work schedule. At least that's what they're telling us. I don't know if that's what kept her schedule open for Joe versus Carol, but I think everyone won as a result. She is really perfection as Carol Baskin. She doesn't smother the comedy or the drama. Carol's just odd enough for her to find the emotional cradle, and as a result, she's completely believable. Meanwhile, Amanda Seyfried gives the performance of her career as Elizabeth Holmes. In a weird way, the previous work that is the closest fit to her Holmes is Karen Smith in Mean Girls. Karen, as you may recall, was dumb. Dumb. But that isn't the fit. There was a thoughtfulness to Karen in that film before she blurted out something stupid that I see in this Holmes characterization. As she tries to figure her way out of complex troubles as they come, her eyes almost go dead for a time almost like in a hypnotic state. And then instead of saying something stupid, she makes choices so shocking that she gets away with them every time, one after the other. One never knows what a great actor might do in an unexpected part. Kate Blanchett looked no more like Lucille Ball than Nicole Kidman to me, but I instinctively believe it was better casting. And I think Miss Seyfried brings a kind of madness that is not exactly what you see in Elizabeth Holmes in documentary footage. In fact, I think McKinnon is more what we see in those dark moments, yet Seyfried, in her rounded features and ability to seem lost and then come out of it very naturally, embodies what is interesting about Holmes more than Holmes seems to herself, at least in public. John Cameron Mitchell also takes us to amazing places as Joe Exotic. There are moments when the actor we've known, very much including his Hedwig performances, shine through in Joe. But this is a much rangier character than Hedwig or any of the others that I've seen him play. He's an outright, unmitigated, unashamed prick. But he's also a broken child and a scared lover, the love part, not the sex part, and someone who is a lot more like Carol Baskin than he would ever admit or probably consciously realize. While McKinnon gives an amazing internalized performance with spurts of big charm, Mitchell plays a rock star from beginning to end. When Joe goes small and vulnerable, his protective response... His self-protective response is to go huge. Meanwhile, Judo Garner is pretty perfect casting for Anna Delvey. What we know about Garner as an actor going in is that she, we will watch her think for a surprising amount of time without words, and we will still want more. Delvey Sorokin is a person of secrets, so her power-compelling silence, her powerful compelling silence, is actually very important in this role. Comparing Garner's Delvey to Seafried's Holmes kind of fascinates me. They're both doing much the same thing. They both have the goal of making something greater than themselves, mostly to build themselves up. The context, though, is somewhat similar as Holmes conned Silicon Valley and Delvey conned the Manhattan royalty. There's a big difference, one big difference, that Delvey get, can get to the end of her con, if she does, 
it might become a reality. It might stop being a con. If you can just get enough people to buy in, somehow it becomes real. Holmes's pitch is enormously unlikely to ever become a working reality. There is actually no out. And it is the culture of Silicon Valley that lures her into believing that's okay, which is very interesting to watch. In terms of the actors, Garner may have made a good Holmes, but I don't think Seyfried could do Delvey right. She's a step too traditionally pretty. It's not that Garner isn't gorgeous, but it's how she is gorgeous. There's something just off-center about both Delvey and Garner's portrayal of her that you can see how people would believe the lie. She wasn't the most. And Delvey not being the most is a reason why people would believe that she was real. Delvey uses pushing people away as a tool of empowerment, and Garner has great skill at that. The Holmes portrayal is a lot about how men really fell in love with her, albeit from a platonic distance. There seems to have been, this seems to have been a big part of her magic trick. Weirdly, in doc footage, I don't really understand why men lost their minds over her. The whole emotional disconnection and deep voice thing is so odd. A lot is made about her blonde hair in the limited series. Yet I could see Garner as Delvey. But I've actually never seen her go dead-eyed in a performance, and I think that's actually necessary. Seyfried plays Delvey so unaware that she's beautiful, except in a few moments where she actually consciously uses the duel, that she creates a kind of untouchable goddess thing that I actually believe. Seyfried also has the advantage of showing us her emotions behind the quote-unquote curtain. We don't really don't get a lot of that from Anna Delvey, and in real life, we still don't. She's still making some of the claims that landed her in jail. Which brings us to Pam Anderson and Lily James's performance as her. Pam is perhaps the most blonde icon of the last 30 years. And she's maybe the most iconic blonde. I knew I could say it in a better way. It's a great performance, in part because you forget that she's performing. Lily James is a true chameleon as an actress. It's not that she's ever unidentifiably Lily James. You figure it out. But in almost every film, you need to take a second look. She's one of cinema's great beauties who isn't really hired to be the knockout beauty on screen. From brassy to mousy to charmingly shy, the face and the body are just a part of her acting toolbox. Now, like all the other blondes this month, her Pam Anderson is in many ways a flawed victim. Unlike the others, she's not generally seen as crazy or abusive or, for most people, abused. She is not someone who built herself up into a winner and then lost it all when she was caught. In fact, there's enormous joy in the first few episodes of the limited series. It's a new romance, even if he is an asshole from get-go. The first two episodes are sexy, particularly episode two, but as Pam loses her sense of safety, the entire series becomes less and less sexy, whatever she's wearing or isn't wearing. The series leaps from almost anything goes, full energy of episode two, to pretty much no nudity from the leads aside from on the tape itself that pops up occasionally. It's clearly intentional. Interestingly, both she and Sebastian Stan have been naked in movies before, fully naked, yet both of them end up being naked by prosthetic in Pam and Tommy. Both, however, do have the skill of becoming quite lean for these roles, however. The makeup work and the prosthetic work is quite stunning because you really, again, don't see it. Unlike someone like Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour with James in a supporting role, we don't have a 100% clear read on James's facial features. So we're even less conscious of the transition when she becomes Pam Anderson, one of the most objectified women in history. Pam and Tommy positions Pam as the victim of this event, much more so than anyone else. It doesn't get caught up in a discussion of self-exploitation, except to say that it doesn't invite everyone into your real life. Sebastian Stan gets the showy part. Seth Rogen gets what is really the lead of the limited series. But Lily James's Pam Anderson is the heart of what goes on for all those hours. 
and like a great magician, you never notice you're being tricked. There are more blondes coming, as always, but this moment of real-life blondes may not be duplicated for a while. Bridget Everett, Bridget Everett took us back to Kansas and somebody somewhere. Amy Schumer's arriving as a character very much like herself, it seems, and Life and Beth, which she wrote by herself. Villanelle is back for one more round of Killing Eve. But Blonde History Month has a very clear, unexpected message. Scratch the surface of a blonde you think is on top of the world, and you're likely to find a human being. This should not really be a lesson in 2022, but it is. And if audiences could take this much away from these shows, it will be, have a, be a month well spent. Until tomorrow.